All right, well, we're back in our series on the life and ministry of Paul. Last week we talked about Paul as a prisoner. I'm going to try to break this up into two parts. So we're going to talk about Paul the prisoner again this morning. And just to kind of recap where we were last week, we talked about how in a study of the life of Paul, when we go through Scripture, we saw this pattern presented where he faithfully preaches the Word uh, to a group or to an individual, and that there was some when Paul would preach... There were some reactions where some would always uh, joyfully receive the message. Uh, Some of the people that Paul would interact with would receive the message and be indifferent to it. Uh, it, But nearly always there were those who were actively opposing Paul. And that's where we saw Paul last week. Those who opposed him ended up uh, putting him in uh, to jail multiple times throughout his ministry. He he couldn't stay out out of jail. And so we talked about how he kind of, you know, maybe launched the first jail ministry, right? He launched jail ministry from inside. And we talked about his commitment. Uh, We talked about how he was committed to reaching people regardless of the cost. Uh, Paul wanted to see people come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. We talked about how Paul was committed to rejoicing regardless of the circumstances. You remember Paul and Silas in prison? They sang at midnight, and so uh, Paul was always looking for ways to rejoice. It didn't matter where he was. And then we talked about his courage and how he would testify at every opportunity, even when a mob had gathered around him. The soldiers are carrying him away in Acts chapter 21. Uh, Paul gets the soldiers to stop so he can address that mob. And he wanted to testify about how the Lord had saved him and how uh, Jesus could change their lives as well. And we talked about how he was uh, courageous to continue to trust uh, through all the opposition that he faced. He never lost his trust in God. He continued to trust the Lord uh, for all of that. And so we pick up this morning... Turn with me to Romans chapter 9, and we'll look first at Paul's compassion. Paul's compassion. He was committed, he was courageous, but he was also a man of compassion, uh, particularly toward the lost. Uh, He had a great compassion for the lost. In Romans chapter 9, the first three verses, I want you to see what Paul writes here. He says, I say the truth in Christ... I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Uh, In the very next chapter, look over to chapter 10 at verse number 1. What does Paul write? He says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Paul had been accused of being a traitor. He'd been accused of being a liar. He had been accused of being a deceiver, a blasphemer. And he says there in Romans chapter 9, he's like, what I'm telling you is the truth. Uh, He said, I'm not lying to you. Um, I'm not kidding. He says uh, he was willing to be accursed. He was willing to be destined for hell to see his people come to know Christ as Savior. Uh, I like how... Warren Wiersbe said it. He said, Paul was willing to stay out of heaven for the saved. And he was willing to go to hell for the sake of the lost. Uh, Jesus said in John chapter 15, Jesus said, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. That's the kind of compassion that Paul had for the lost. Paul wanted to see people come to know Christ as Savior. And 
He wept when he saw the unsaved Jews. He was burdened for the lost souls of his people. And it ought to drive us to examine our hearts. When's the last time that we've had that kind of burden for the lost people in our lives that we know? For the people that we interact with? Do we have that kind of compassion for them? And so it was that kind of love, it was that kind of compassion that motivated Paul to keep on keeping on for Christ, even though he was beaten, even though he was whipped, even though he was tortured, uh, even though he went through everything that he went through in his life, shipwreck, imprisonment, and ultimately martyrdom, it was his compassion for the lost souls that kept driving him forward. He was a man of compassion. Uh, It's the same kind of love. We talked uh, last week about people like Adoniram Judson, How do you stay that many years? He spent six years before they even saw a convert in the jungles of places like Burma. Uh, It's compassion for those people. That's why when we have our missions emphasis month, we focus an entire month of the year on it here at our church because we try to catch that burden as missionaries come in, as we hear those reports, as we, even on Wednesday nights, when we hear from the missionary letters of those that we do support, we're trying to hear that burden, that compassion that they have for the people that God has called them to reach. Uh, it's supposed to do something to us. And when we focus on that for an entire month in April, uh, that at the end of the month, why do we take up those commitment cards? Well, hopefully God has worked in our hearts uh, he's, he's shown us the necessity of reaching the rest of the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there's people groups all around the world that need to hear about Jesus. And we need compassion. Now, God hasn't called you to go to India or to the Philippines or to Mexico. But God did put that burden in somebody else's heart. And if we can't go there, we can help get them there. Because they have that compassion to see those people come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. It's the kind of uh, love that would motivate a man like John Payton. He was a missionary to the cannibals in the New Hebrides. And he told the story, he wrote in one of his journals about how uh, when they were there, one night their entire facility had been surrounded. They were going to be killed. They could see the fire, the torches burning outside, and they continued to pray all night long. When morning came, they were still alive. The group of cannibals had left. Years later, as that group came to know Jesus Christ as Savior, he asked them about that night that happened. And the chief of the tribe told him, and this is what Peyton records in his diary, he says, we were set to attack your facility that night. But we didn't know that you had such an army of people out there guarding it. He had nobody outside guarding his facility. Kind of reminds you of that Bible story where he asked for the eyes to be opened uh, and he saw the hillside filled with people. Uh, God protects his people, doesn't he? But what would drive somebody to go live in a place like that? Compassion. Love. We talked about Jim Elliot last week because we think about greater love has no man than this that a man lay down his life for his friends. Uh, Jim Elliot and those that were with him to reach the Alka Indians, they laid down their lives. But because they sacrificed their lives, it gave other people the opportunity to reach that group 
for Jesus Christ. And there's, a, there's, a, there's been several books, and I think there's a movie several years ago, something like Beyond the, Beyond the Spear, I think is the, the name of it, about the life and ministry of Jim Elliot. Look that up and, and, and read it or watch it. Incredible, uh, incredible testimony for the Lord. You think of men like David Livingston who went through the, the jungles of Africa. Why do you do that? Because of compassion. If Paul as a prisoner had been so concerned with his own self-preservation, with his own life, if he had only been looking out for number one, that's what we're so tempted to do many times. Uh, Paul had to write to the church at Philippi and he said, uh, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Because that's our human nature. And if Paul had been so consumed with trying to preserve his own life, he would have missed opportunities to show compassion and love to those that were trying to harm him, but he knew that those people needed Jesus. What was he doing? He was, he was living out what Jesus set as an example. Jesus preached, we're through Matthew chapter 5 right now on Wednesday nights. The Sermon on the Mount, and we hear Jesus say things like, bless those who curse you. Bless those who despitefully use you, those who would revile you. But Jesus didn't just say those things. He didn't just preach those things. He lived them out, didn't he? When Jesus went to the cross, when he was nailed to the cross, uh, he prayed for those people that were putting him there. He had compassion. And so Paul's living that out. Paul cared for his captors. Uh, we, even, we mentioned this several weeks ago in Acts chapter 16. When Paul and Silas were there at Philippi, the Philippian jailer, that's, that's one person we can think of that Paul showed compassion to. This man is in charge of keeping him in prison. The prison doors swing open wide. Uh, Paul, Silas, the rest, of the, the rest of the prisoners, they can leave. They can run free. But they don't. Paul and everyone stays put. And when Paul sees that the jailer is about to commit suicide, Paul, out of care, says, do thyself no harm. We're all still here. Don't kill yourself. And begins to preach the message of Jesus Christ to him. Now turn with me to Acts chapter 26 and let's look at another man that Paul had a burden for. That was one of his captors. In Acts chapter 26, uh, we see a man by the name of Festus. This was the Roman governor. Festus and King Agrippa. Festus was the one who was attempting to keep Paul in prison. And after hearing Paul's testimony, Festus tells Paul, basically, you're a crazy man, you're insane. And instead of feeling insulted, what does Paul do? He attempts to convince these rulers to become Christians. Look down to verse number 24. And as he thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad. He's, you're insane. You're crazy. But he, Paul, said, I'm not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. For the king knoweth of these things, before whom also I speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him, for this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, 
but also all that hear me this day. We're both almost and altogether such as I am, except these bonds. Uh, Paul wants to see these people, the ones who uh, are sending him to jail. He wants to see them come to know Christ. And King Agrippa says, you've almost persuaded me. Festus says, you're crazy. And Paul says, man, my burden is that you'd be like me without these bonds. Now, that's an amazing thing for somebody to say who's standing there in chains, that he wants to see them come to know Christ as Savior. And I don't know, maybe Paul had in mind the teachings of the Lord from that Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus said, love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. That's what, that's what they had been taught. But what did Jesus say? He says, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that despitefully use you. And if we're going to love those who hate us, which is what Jesus said we should do, how much more important is it that we show and share the wonderful news of the gospel with friends and family and neighbors, co-workers, anyone that God brings our way. In Paul's life, he had such a compassion, he wanted to share the gospel message with them. And he always looked at any sort of contact. It didn't matter where it was. When Paul had contact with somebody, he saw it as a new opportunity to share the gospel. And that was the first thing on Paul's mind. How can I testify for the Lord Jesus? And how can he show compassion to them? Especially to the people who hurt him. So in our lives, how do we go about showing Christian compassion? What are some of the ways that we can do that? How do we show Christian compassion to our friends, our family, our neighbors, our coworkers? What are some of the ways that we can do that? I would say we should think through that. But then let me ask you this question. What about specifically those who hate us, those who don't like our message, those who would reject what we stand for? What are some ways that we can show Christian compassion to them Many times our words won't penetrate the hard heart of somebody like that. But you know what will? When we show them Christian compassion. When we show those that would have nothing to do with us, that we love them and that we care for their souls, just like Paul did, just like Jesus did, many times our actions speak louder than words. And it can tear down barriers. It can melt that heart of stone. It can give us an inroad to share the gospel message with somebody. So how can we show Christian compassion to those we hate? It's not, it's not difficult to find people that dislike our message. It's easy to look into the culture today and see so many different groups that despise what we stand for. And if we're not careful, it's easy to get a hard heart toward those people. There are, there are groups that they just write different groups of people off and say, well, there's no hope for them. 
The best thing that could happen for them is to burn and to go to hell. But what's the truth? That's, the, that's what we all deserve, isn't it? It's only because of God's mercy that we're here today. That he's not giving us what we do deserve. And as long as we have breath, and as long as those people have breath, we should show Christian compassion to them. We should pray for them. We should look for opportunities to try to reach them with the gospel message. So let me encourage you to, to think of some ways that there may be somebody in your life that you have difficulty getting along with. There may be somebody in your circle of influence that you've never been able to share the gospel with because they just simply reject what you believe. Ask God to help you this week to show Christian compassion to them, to look for opportunities to do good to them, and that through that, doors would open to share the gospel message. Paul cared for his captors, but he also cared for his companions. Uh, Festus, as as Paul preaches the gospel to him and talks with him, uh, he doesn't release Paul. And so Paul requests a trial before Caesar as a Roman citizen. And so when we turn over now to chapter 27, we see Paul was sent to Rome. And he's a prisoner on a ship bound uh, for Rome with 276 other people. Paul was there, Luke was there. But all these other prisoners, the ship's crew and the officers, uh, these were people that Paul probably never would have interacted with, Paul would have never met had he not been a prisoner. But now he has an actual captive audience on this ship. And it didn't matter what their social standing was. It didn't matter what reason they had for being on the ship. Paul saw this opportunity to make contact with 276 other people for Jesus Christ. And he saw them as souls in need of a Savior. And so what happens in Acts chapter 27? A terrible storm comes up. This is the perfect opportunity for Paul to demonstrate care and compassion, not just for his captors, but also for his companions that are with him. Look down to verse number 21. So they're in the middle of this storm, and Paul says, Sirs, ye should have hearkened unto me, and not have loosed from Crete, and to have gained this harm and loss. Now I exhort you, be of good cheer. Uh, We're in the middle of a storm, and Paul says, be of good cheer. For there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am, and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar. And lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer. For I believe God that it shall be even as it was told to me. Uh, You've got these experienced sailors on this ship. Uh, They're fearing for their lives. And Paul made it his mission. He's trying to encourage not just the crew's Uh, the the ship's crew, but everybody that's on the ship, he's trying to be the ray of sunshine. He's trying to be the encourager on board in the middle of this storm. Not just for their spiritual, but also for their physical well-being. Look down to verse number 33. And while the day was coming on, Paul besought them all to take meat, saying, "Uh, This day is the fourteenth day that ye have tarried and continued fasting, having taken nothing. Wherefore... I pray you to take some meat, for this is for your health. Uh, He says, you guys need to eat. Uh, He's not just trying to preach Jesus. He's trying to care for their bellies as well, their soul and their stomachs. For there shall not an hair fall from the head of any of you. And when he had thus spoken, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, began to eat. 
Then were they all of good cheer, and they also took some meat. And we were in all in the ship 200, threescore, and 16 souls. Uh, he, he put his carrying into action, didn't he? And we have opportunities to do the same thing. You might have read this little poem before, but I like what it says. It's called The World's Bible by Annie Johnson Flint. She writes, Christ has no hands but our hands to do his work today. He has no feet but our feet to lead men in his way. He has no tongues but our tongues to tell men how he died. He has no help but our help to bring them to his side. We are the only Bible the careless world will read. We are the sinner's gospel. We are the scoffer's creed. We are the Lord's last message given in deed and word. What if the type is crooked? What if the print is blurred? What if our hands are busy with work other than his? What if our feet are walking where sin's allurement is? What if our tongues are speaking of things his lips would spurn? How can we hope to help him and hasten his return? We have an opportunity just like Paul did. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. We're the ones that he left behind to propagate the gospel message. It's our responsibility to tell the world that he loves them, that he died for them. And we have to live that out in our lives. We heard this in Faith Bible in the last week or two. Uh, there are some who, who preach only lifestyle evangelism, that you just live a, a good life and you hope that people come to Jesus because of it. We should do that. But at some point, we also have to give the gospel message. There are some people, though, that their lives don't match up with the gospel message that they give. And when our lives don't match what we're telling people, that also serves as a deterrent. So what should we do? Should we use lifestyle evangelism? Absolutely. We should use our lives as an example to bring people to Jesus. But we've also got to use our mouths to share the gospel message with them. Let your life match your words. That's how we should be living our lives. Uh, we're the ones to bring people to know Christ as Savior. Uh, he has no hands but our hands and no feet but our feet. Will we be the ones who do that? That was Paul's compassion for people. And then notice Paul's confidence. Staying there in Acts chapter 27, Paul was confident in God's ownership. You see, it's good when we have confidence but we have to have confidence in the right thing. Sometimes we sing that song here at church, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. And the last verse that we sing begins with, um, with these words, I will not boast in anything. Except what? Except Christ. We have to know where our confidence is. That's where Paul's confidence was, was in Jesus Christ. Uh, not in ourselves. Not in our own good works, not in our own deeds, not in our own righteousness, because we have none of those. Paul's confidence was in God's ownership. And as we follow uh, Paul's journey to Rome, notice what he said there. He said, there stood by me, in verse 23, there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose am I, and whom I serve, saying, fear not, Paul. Thou must be brought before Caesar, lo, hath God given thee all them that sell with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God that it shall be even as it was told to me. Uh, nobody else had the confidence on that ship that Paul had. Why? Because Paul knew who owned him. Paul was bought 
and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. And he says, I belong to God. I know whose I am. I know I can trust him. We sung that song uh, in the last year or so, I think, uh, back at uh, our baby dedication day. I am not my own. No, I don't belong to me. Now, that's why this transgender movement doesn't make sense. We don't get to determine what our identity is. Uh, God determines that. God says who I am. I'm not my own. I belong to God. I belong to Him. And we can rest assured that He'll take care of the things that belong to Him. Uh, He says... There are those who would worry about their salvation, their eternal security. But Jesus says, uh, you're in the Father's hand. Nobody can pluck you out of the Father's hand. Uh, That would include yourself, right? Uh, there's, There's no power, there's no force, there's no entity anywhere that is strong enough to open the hand of God and pull you out of it. You belong to God. And Paul was confident in God's ownership. He says, I belong to God and I serve God. And he's told us... We're going to make it through this storm, and so I believe God. That's a good way to live life, isn't it? Paul was confident in God's goodness. Verse number 25, he said, Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God, that it shall be even as it was told me. Uh, Paul believed God. Paul believed his word. Uh, Paul knew that God is always good and God is always right, and that settled it for Paul. He He didn't have to have any other conversations or discussions. He just trusted in the fact that he served a good God. The verse we read last Sunday together as a congregation from Psalm chapter 107. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. In Psalm chapter 119, it says, Thou art good and doest good. Teach me thy statutes. Paul would write in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, And we know that God works all things together for good to them that love him. Uh, Despite his status as a prisoner, he's on a ship headed for trial. He's in chains. It didn't matter though. Paul never lost his confidence that God was working it all together for good. Uh, One one preacher, some of you may have seen this in the past week on social media, uh, R.B. Willette, pastored many years, First Baptist Church in Bridgeport, Michigan, Gone on as a great evangelist, has authored many uh, incredible books. But because of some cancer that he had, he had to go in this week. And they're removing his voice box. He'll never speak again. But as his wife has shared the story of this week and recounted some of the last things that they will do together before he loses his voice, she wrote on Thursday night, as they checked into the hotel before his surgery, that he began to strike up a conversation with the lady behind the front desk. And he began to share with Allie his story and the fact that he has cancer and he was going in the next morning at 5.30 to have his voice box taken out. And that he'll never have the power of using his vocal cords again. And he said... This may be the last chance I have to use my mouth to tell somebody this message. And began to share the gospel with this lady. She trusted Christ as her Savior. 
Imagine going through all of this bad stuff in your life. But Brother Willette, at the end, what is he most concerned about? He's trying to tell somebody else about Jesus Christ. He knows, I'm not going to get to use my voice to do that anymore. You can be sure he's going to continue writing. He's going to continue doing everything he can to get the gospel message out. But the last actual physical act that he could do with his voice, what was it? It was to share the gospel with somebody. What a powerful testimony that is. And to watch he and his wife this week to share verses as they continue to trust God's goodness and God's plan in his life, even though this is what they would have had planned. They don't know why. It's been heartbreaking to read the last things that they've done together, the last phone calls that he made to his family, the last of these things. But yesterday his wife posted, we're excited to start talking about the firsts that we get to have. The doctors feel confident that they were able to remove the cancer. And he was typing to her from the hospital bed. And he's excited about what the future holds and some of the firsts that he'll get to do. Pray for R.B. Willette. He's a great man of God. But what a, what a confidence to have in God going through a storm like that. Those are the kind of things that inspire us to keep serving Jesus, to keep telling people about Jesus. And then very quickly and lastly this morning, let's look at Paul's counsel. As a prisoner, Paul might have lost the ability to go up and down the the streets. He had lost the ability to go from city to city and town to town and use his feet to share what God had put onto his heart. But Paul hadn't lost the ability to write. And from prison cells, Paul penned what we call the prison epistles. As he wrote to different churches and to different individuals to influence them in ways that wouldn't have otherwise been possible. I think there's some things that Paul taught us from his prison cells that maybe we wouldn't have learned had Paul not been in those situations. And it's absolutely a certainty that God knew in advance where Paul would be. He was guided by the Holy Spirit. He was directed to write what he wrote. And so first, let's look at Paul's counsel to the Ephesians. And we'll just kind of pull one thought. There's so many thoughts we could take from each of these books. But if we were going to say Paul's counsel to the Ephesians was one thing, I think this is a good thing to look at. He said to them, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. As he finishes this well-known passage in Ephesians chapter 6, he's in captivity in Rome. He challenges the church at Ephesus to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And he goes on to talk about the armor of God. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 18. And he talks about how important it is in spiritual warfare. And he closes the passage in Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 18, by saying, we're to do all of these things. We're to put on this armor of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Paul knew that our strength, it, it comes solely from the Lord. There's no strength outside of that, that confidence that he had in God goes along with the strength. He would tell the church at Philippi uh, in Philippians chapter 4, verse number 13, he says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Uh, Paul had no strength of his own. There's no way we face the storms of life. There's no way Paul faced the things that he went through 
without being strong in the Lord. Paul would tell the church at Colossians uh, that she might walk worthy of the Lord and all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. It's the, it's the Holy Spirit of God that strengthens us, that enables us to accomplish what he wants us to do. Paul's counsel to the Philippian church comes from Philippians chapter 4 where Paul would tell them, think on these things. Philippians chapter 4 verse number 6, Paul would write to this church and say, be careful for nothing. Don't be anxious, don't be full of care, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. And those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the peace of God shall be with you. Uh, once again, writing from Rome, Paul sends this advice, this spiritual counsel for spiritual people to think about spiritual things. Uh, sometimes we get our minds off of spiritual things onto other things, uh, and it's a, it's a difficulty. It brings us down. It causes us problems in our Christian life. And Paul says we need to think on these things, and he gives us that list. Uh, the world... And its allurements, it fights against what Paul says we should be thinking about in every way. Uh, the world system, the world's culture, uh, what Satan wants is completely opposed to what Christ wants in our lives. And we need to be thinking about what Christ wants us to think about. Paul would write to the church at Corinth, he said, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Think on the things that Christ would want you to think about. Things that would honor him. I go back to Acts chapter 16. I think about Paul and Silas in jail at Philippi. It would have been so easy to have their mind other places, thinking about all the, all the things, why am I here? Uh, why is this happening to me? How bad these things are? But at midnight, what were they doing? They were thinking about how good God was. They were thinking about how great the Lord had been to them, and so they began to sing praises at midnight. And because of that, we have the wonderful story of the conversion of the Philippian jailer and his entire family who helped found and ground that church at Philippi that would go on to see so many people saved. And then how about the church at Colossae? What do you tell the Colossians? He says, set your affections on things above. It kind of goes hand in hand with what he told the church at Philippi. He says, think on these things, set your affections on things above. Colossians chapter 3, verse number 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ and God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Uh, our love, our attention, our focus, our goals, our desires, uh, it should be set on heavenly eternal things, uh, not on the temporal things here on earth. And we're far better to hold loosely the things of earth 
than to have such a grasp on them. We don't want to turn loose of those things because the day is coming when you're going to have to turn loose of the things here on earth. But where your treasure is, there will your heart be also, Jesus said. So invest in things that are in heaven because in heaven there's no rust, there's no moths, there's no thieves. Uh, so invest in eternal treasures. First John encourages the wise Christian to be more concerned with the eternal things. Uh, he says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of the life, it's not of the Father, but it's of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Paul would write to the church at Corinth in his second letter to them. He says, We look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now what was Paul saying? Well, it's sort of like that song we sing. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. We're just, we're just pilgrims journeying through this land. It's not our home. Don't get too comfortable because it's not going to stay here forever. Corey Tinboom, the Holocaust survivor, she said, I've learned we must hold everything loosely because when I grip it tightly, it hurts when the Father pries my fingers loose and takes it from me. Set your affection on things above. And then Paul's counsel to Timothy. His son in the faith, a young man who had been with him and that he had poured so much into and invested so much into that he knew would carry on. And so Paul leaves him... This letter, I'm sure Timothy greatly treasured these words that Paul left him with. What were Paul's parting words to Timothy? Preach the word. Preach the word. That's what Paul had done with his life. From the moment of his conversion, what do we see happen in Paul's life? He gets saved and he immediately goes to the synagogue and begins preaching about Jesus. It was the very first thing that made the other religious Jews upset when Paul showed up and started preaching Jesus. And from that day until Paul laid down his life, he preached the word. He says, Timothy, be instant in season and out of season. Uh, be ready to speak at every opportunity you have. Paul modeled it in his life. Everywhere Paul went, he was ready to preach the word. Uh, Paul wasn't there to give his opinion about things. He wasn't there uh, to speak on cultural issues. When Paul showed up, he had one message. Christ crucified. Jesus, the Son of God, buried, rose again. Paul wanted to preach the gospel message. Uh, the world could do with less of our opinions, couldn't it? The world needs more of Jesus. It needs the word of God. We know when we use the word of God rather than just talking about our opinions, I believe Paul wrote this in the book of Hebrews. He said the word of God is quick, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. The prophet Jeremiah, uh, in Jeremiah chapter 23, verse number 9, uh, God is speaking to him. He says, Is not my word like as a fire, like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? Paul would write to the church at Rome, in chapter number 10, and he says there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord is over all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe on him 
of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Uh, A preacher speaking of someone who gives the message. And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. He says, Timothy, preach the word. He leaves us with the same message. Preach the word. Declare the word of God. Use his word. It's powerful. It will work. It will still change lives. Man's philosophy changes over time, and this works and that works, and here's a way to better to better yourself. Here's the, the secrets to a happier life. Uh, Paul says, preach the word. It contains all that is needed for godliness in Christ Jesus. It has everything that we need. And so there was no prison on earth that was going to contain the spirit of the apostle Paul. If you put Paul in prison where he couldn't go out and preach to the crowds, what did he do? He wrote letters that would go out to the churches and encourage them to continue preaching the gospel. It didn't matter the circumstances, how unpleasant they were. Paul continued to serve Jesus. What an example of a life and ministry. In the most difficult of times, Paul remained confident in his God and in his goodness. So let's use Paul as an example and let God have full control of our life. Regardless of the storms that we encounter, the things that... that happen to us, the circumstances we find ourselves in, the the people that might oppose us. Use Paul's life as an example that drives us forward to continue serving Jesus, loving people, and sharing the gospel message. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to study more of Paul's life as a prisoner. Let it serve as that shining example to us that drives us to show more people the gospel message. Lord, we pray that you'd meet with us now in this morning service. Have your will and way in all that's done and said. Lord, I pray that you'd be honored and glorified, lifted up through the songs this morning. I pray that our hearts are filled with thanksgiving as we read uh, the scripture passages this morning, as we uh, hear testimonies of your goodness to us, as we talk with one another and encourage one another, Lord. We pray that uh, everything would come back to honoring and glorifying and lifting uh, 